You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. All right. Anybody know what this is? What's that? Fast food. Wait, let me turn it. Can you zoom in on that? I don't know who, what camera is the best one, but look at that. You got to love the, the grease on the bag, right? I think that's my, my favorite part. So if you're a, a lover of fast food, just raise your hand real quick. Be like, I love fast food. And I'm willing to admit it. The rest of you are lying, okay? <laughs> McDonald's french fries. Like, who are you kidding? Come on, right? Come on. And now some of you are like, yeah, you're healthy and, and you're going to judge me. Fine, judge me. I, I, for the message, for the sake of the message, I had to go to Jack in the Box yesterday. I'm here to love you. Like, I am putting my health on the line for this message. Yeah, you can give it up for that. Like, that's what I'm here for you. That's what I do. Pastors sometimes have to do this for their people. Okay. Now, I say that because nowadays you go to fast food and you get to the pickup window and there's a label there. Does everybody know what it says? It says this stuff causes cancer. My question, my question, why isn't it at the order window? Right? Wouldn't that make more sense? Hey, you're about to order stuff that has this in it. They already got me. They already got my money. That's why they have the first window, so you pay them first. Then you read the little sticker and says, <laughs> I love fast food. And as I read that, this is a recent thing. I don't know when that went. Mike, do you know when that came into existence or came along? But uh, I started thinking back to how much fast food I've had in my life. Um, some of you grew up in homes. Your, your parents are great cooks. My mom and dad didn't cook very much. And, and that means in high school, I grew up eating a lot of fast food. I remember driving. This is a common thing. Pretty much every day, high school, we had an open campus so we could leave and go get food. I'd jump in my car, roll the windows down, have the radio on in my Toyota Celica. I'm going, to, going through the drive-thru. I grab my food. I eat it. This jack-in-the-box, I have jalapenos, curly fries, big old large drink. I finish it. And this is common. Almost every day, this is what I do. The windows are open. I wait for a right-hand turn. And as I wait for the right-hand turn, I look. No one's looking. Out the window. Now, Juanita Peterson, you just looked at me and went, oh, I know it's wrong, Juanita. I know. Okay? <laughs> I've been doing this for years. That. Go ahead and groan. Go ahead. You can judge me. I will tell you, by the time I'm done with this, you're going to feel so horrible about yourself <laughs> that what I did is nothing. Let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans 1. Our mindsets are messed up. We just can't think right. Romans 1 says this. Go to verse 18 in your Bible. You can do it on your phone. You can grab your notes too. By the way, if this is, you're the bucket that you need to be able to regurgitate this and get out there and do it. You don't need to worry about all the details. Just get the big idea, the big picture. Our mindset is messed up, and Romans 1 tells us how bad it is. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Who made it plain to them? God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, 
his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. And not just seen, but being understood. Say understood. So it's taking something that's seen, but they can actually understand it. Clearly seen and understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Here's the truth. First note in your outline. God exists and he wants us to know him. He made it so obvious and so clear that all people, not just people in church, but all people have no excuse. So when they stand before him, they can't say, hold on a minute. I didn't hear about, tell about the people that are around me that know about God. They're horrible at talking about God. They were just, it's not my fault. Romans 1 tells us that all of us have no excuse. Now, the, the church term here is called general revelation, a theological principle. We don't need to go into that too much from, from that. Like, we may like to make up big words. The idea is God created everything at the beginning so that it would be clearly seen that he exists. And then also that he wants us to know him. Psalm 19, 1 to 4. You don't have to turn there. You can look up on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. The heavens reveal knowledge and declare the glory of God. Let's continue. They have no speech, though. They have no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. As we gain more and more knowledge about the heavens, we gain more and more knowledge about God, and not just about that he exists, but also about who he is, what his nature is. Let's jump in first to eternal power. Clearly seen. A never-ending, and now the fun part about eternal power, I don't have to even talk to you about, because the Bible tells me that eternity has been written on the hearts of men. So as you're walking out of this place, and you're walking to get your fast food, or you're going to work, we have this new thing where in church we're feeling kind of intimidated that everyone else has it right, and maybe we're the dumb ones. But God tells us that eternity is written on the hearts of everyone you come in contact with. I don't care where you go. And the heavens give added proof to this. Not only did God make it clear to them that, hey, there's a thing called eternity. It just goes on and on and on. It's written on our hearts. He made it clear in something we can see. So real quick, I'm going to go a little nerd. And as I go nerd on science stuff, some of you in here are brilliant. Like you're going to look at me and go like, Mike, you made a mistake with your scientific fact. And I don't know if that's the voice I would make of someone making fun of me. I don't know how you really talk, but that's how I hear you. Um, <laughs> No, but you're going to critique me on my math or my, my um, philosophical whatever, and I'm going to ask you one of three questions that we're going to get to today. I'm not even going to listen to you, really, because the issue here is one of three questions. So let's jump in. Um, anyone know what a light year is? Light year is often mistaken as a period of time. It's actually a distance. It's a distance. You, have a, you know how, how long it is? How big? How many miles? Something like six trillion miles. That's a lot of miles. Okay. Since the creation of the world, the naked eye can see something that's about 2.5 million light years away. 2.5 million 
times six trillion light years. The naked eye can see that. That's pretty crazy. That is clear evidence. Now, we didn't know that when we had the naked eye. We had no idea how far away that really was. But as we get more and more knowledge about how science works, whether it's outer space or inner space, we find out more and more about God. Galileo in the 1600s, about, he did a telescope 30 times more powerful than the naked eye. And now we have the Hubble. We have the Hubble. Plus, we have all kinds of other cool things too, but the Hubble's a great one, and I like it because it can see 13 billion light years away. And that's pretty crazy. And these are all estimates, but it just tells us that there's this eternal, powerful God. Take a look at this picture. I got a photo here that I think this is the most recent one. I think it's April 4th, 2018. Isn't that really cool? That's only 8,000 light years away. Some ancient star cluster. And uh, I just look at that and each one of those things, how powerful they are. Whether it's a galaxy or a star or whatever shown there. Eternal power clearly seen. Somebody say amen, right? Like, is that clear? So what do we do with this as people? We have this idea that it's super clear and, and we have to deal with it. Not only, though, do we have to deal with the facts, we have to deal with this divine nature. It's not just about facts. Just does God exist? Something is revealed in nature that tells us about God's divine nature. So this is, like, nature, like... What makes Mike Mike? That would be like my nature. Um, what's God's nature like? He did all of that space stuff. So we would know he exists. The very nature of God is that he would communicate clearly that he exists. So that we would know he wants to know us. I mean, that's crazy. That's God's very nature. He did all of that so you could sit in here and clearly know that, yes, God exists and that there's this eternal power, but that he wants us to know him. We can't walk around like um, we're so afraid of everything. Like all of that is for God and for us. So what do we do? Excuse me. What do we do with that? Hmm. By the way, to illustrate today's message, I have Pellegrino fancy water because I want fancy water and I want it when I want it. And I wanted some, so I took some. Okay, that'll make sense in just a minute. So what do we do with this thing that God did that's clearly seen? All of us, I don't care who you are, in the room, out of the room, we take the truth and we suppress it. Romans 1 tells us that we, people, take this truth and we suppress it. We shove it down. We got to get rid of it because if this thing, oh my gosh, there's so many consequences, we suppress the truth. Um, I was trying to think about illustrations about suppression, and I thought, oh, we suppress a cough. You can go to the store and get. Um, what's Sacramento? What's it called? The city of trees. Wait, what'd you say? <laughs> and the, I call it the city of sneeze. It is. It's a city of allergies. We just moved a couple years ago from LA, and I'm sitting, I've been here maybe two months. I'm in my office, doors open, and and I'm hacking and, you know, just blowing my nose. I, I know it's obnoxious, but whatever. I'm not even thinking about it. Pastor Dave walks in, and he says, Mike, we need to have a talk. And I said, about what? What's going on? And he says, Mike, I can't handle listening to you anymore. 
He's all, it's in meetings. It's every time we're together, we go out to eat. I'm like, he's out, get some control. I'm like, control over what? And he says, you know about allergies? I said, I don't have any allergies. He says, well, yeah, you do. <laughs> anyway, he taught me that I have allergies moving up here. And now it's why the city of sneeze for me. Thank you very much. Apparently, you agree. Um, but that's not quite the idea here of suppression. It's like we have this thing in us and we got to kind of push it down. No, no, no. The idea here is we push it down, shove it out, and have to grab something else and think of that. Let me um, illustrate it this way. In just a minute, all of us are going to raise our hands. And then I'm going to tell you not to think of something. It's a suppressing idea is what I'm trying to get at. And the idea here is not pizza. Everybody say not pizza. Right, not pizza. So if we tried to suppress the idea of not pizza, all you're going to be saying to yourself is what? Not pizza, not pizza, not pizza, not pizza. Oh, not pizza. Not, anyway, I don't know how you would do it. That's how I would. But that doesn't work because what are you still thinking about? You have to suppress it, move it out, and put something else in. So we're going to put in pineapple. We're going to put in pineapple. <clears throat> we're not even going to use the other word anymore. What are we thinking? Pineapple. People say pineapple. Look to your neighbor say pineapple. 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 Visualize a pineapple. Pineapple. Little spiky things. What's on top of a pineapple? A little leafy thing. That's what we're thinking about. We're not even thinking about the other thing. We're thinking about pineapple. Everybody raise your hand. Everyone raise your hand. One hand. Everybody. If you think about the other thing, the second you do, be honest, put your hand down. Do not, if you've already thought of that, good, honest people, they're already thinking about it. If you're still thinking about pineapple, we love pineapple, throw the picture up on the screen. Count them. Count the pineapple. You're still thinking pineapple. How are you still thinking pineapple if you are pizza? Okay, there you go. There's my proof. But that's just suppressing an idea. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But we were a little late on that one. That's okay. Okay. Doesn't matter. But that's suppressing an idea. Next, we're going to try suppressing a truth. Suppressing a truth is impossible. I, I cannot get this right. So in just a minute, I'm going to give you a math problem. And some of you math people are like, yeah, I get math at church. Good, good. I'm glad you're excited. We did science. Here's math. And some of you are like, yeah, we did pizza too. No, you're not supposed to think pizza, remember? Okay. So in just a minute, I'm going to put a math problem up there. You're going to think of anything else. Take the idea of the answer. You're shoving it out. I don't care what you do. Math doesn't exist. Numbers don't exist. Whatever you have to do to get your mind to not think of the answer. You with me? Put your hands up. When it goes up, as soon as you think of what the real answer is, you got to put your hands down. Hands up. Ready? Here we go. Do not think of the answer. Here it goes. Put it up there. Math problem. You, do you still have your hands up? No, don't. Don't. It, math doesn't exist. What I did was I said math equals words. Math equals words. That was my, are you still thinking about it? Good. Words. Math equals words. That's the way I tricked myself. But look at the word I came up with. <laughs> just kidding. That's a, I thought, that was just so adorable. This is the way I think. I'm just messed up. So with the universe, what do we do? We take the truth about God that exists, his eternal power, his divine nature. He wants to, us to know him. And we put in things like connect the dots with the stars. Like, what? All of that is supposed to be about God, and we make it about whatever. I can't even think of one. We make it about a pot, that the reason for the pot is to point to the North Star. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's pretty cool, the Big Dipper. Um, But that's so weird. We have to suppress this truth about God and shove it down, move it out of the way, and put something else in there, and we do connect the dots. So when you go out in the stars, you're like, oh, I see that, I see that. Instead of seeing God. We are messed up. Our mindsets are just messed up, and all of us are messed up. 
Why do we do this? What does Romans 1 say? We suppress the truth by our wickedness. This is why we do it. Because there's so much on the line here, you see. Because if you say God exists, he wants me to know him. Like, he wants to be known. Uh, he did all of that universe stuff so that we would know he wants to know us. But if we accept that truth and don't suppress it, we have to do what he wants, not what we want. And we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it, with whom we want to do it, however many times we want to do it, because that's how we think. We're messed up. And if you don't think we're messed up, I'm about to read the bottom part of Romans 1. And when we read it, you're going to feel worse about yourself than me littering. Because I know I read this and it just crushes me because I know this is how I think. We're skipping two sections in Romans 1. You can go back and look at it, but we're skipping them because it kind of progresses and gets worse. So this is the worst list. Romans 1.28. Furthermore, just as they did not think, these people who suppressed the truth, they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind. Our minds are messed up. So that they do what ought not to be done. They have been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Like, great, I, I, nothing's on my list. I, I'm doing good. Okay, here we go. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. The things that come out of these people's mouths. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Hey, how'd that one make the list? I got a good study for all you want to dig in on that one. Find out whether it's disobey the parents like we think about it or whether it's a capital offense and they could get killed if they disobeyed their parents. Go check it out. It's a good study. They have no understanding, no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree. I don't know how they know righteous decree because this is natural revelation. This isn't anything about the Bible or any of that. This is they know God's natural decree just by what can be seen. They know that decree, that those who do such things deserve what? Death. Say death. That means they know that when they have to deal with this idea that God exists, they have to suppress it. They shove it down. And as they shove it down, they can then move it out of the way, replace it with something else. And yet they know that when they do that, when they choose not God, they are saying, I get that I have to be separated from God. Like, I get that. It deserves death. The idea here is a separation. They know that if I reject, like if you reject your parents, say, I'm going to rebel, rebel against my parents, and I leave, I don't expect them to be all like, yeah, we're still good. We'll get to that in just a minute. So check this out. They understand that it deserves death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Here's the truth. God gives us over to a depraved mind. You see, when we reject God and we suppress the truth, he says, okay, you don't want me. I've made it clear, but you don't want me. You want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. When I want to. 
And he gives us over to this thinking. And when he gives us over to this thinking, the depraved mind just gets out of control. You can't even stop it. You can't stop this. It's what happened in the garden, right? They, they sin, and then not even one generation, like, like maybe even halfway through the next generation, there's already murder. And it's brother murdered brother. Like, we have a depraved mind, and we're kind of trapped in it, and there's no way out. Romans 1. How do we respond when God allows us to have this depraved mind? Right? So, so God's saying, okay, i got to let you go. I don't want to let you go, but i got to let you go. What do we do? We replace the truth with approval. Because if you're going to stay in that bad place, you're going to keep doing those bad things, what you have to start doing is saying, well, ah, what you do is okay, what I do is okay, ah, we're all okay. And let me tell you, this is the bottom of the sin barrel, according to Romans 1. Like when we start approving about the bad behavior so that we can justify what we do. I'm going to illustrate all of this. Um, there's a story in the Bible if you're not familiar with. It's about a father and a son. Here's the truth. The father exists and the father loves his son. The son suppresses the feelings for his family and he says, I want my inheritance and I want to go. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I want to litter. I didn't want trash in my car. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. The truth. The father says, okay, I got to let you go. In fact, I'll give you the inheritance. And what happens to the son? He goes out, and the Bible's very clear, two words. It says wild living. Wild living. So when I say wild living, all of you couldn't suppress the idea of wild living. So some of you went to one place, some of you went to another. I don't really care. But the idea is when we go and, and have this depraved mind that this wild living thing is going to happen, and now you don't have wild living by himself. You don't have wild living on his own. So they have to get together and said, what's up? And they call, they make up a nickname for him. Party Joe, what's up, Party Joe? Woo, in the house. This guy's got money, everybody. Hanging out with the ladies. He's just a ladies' man. Suppress the truth of what God wants. Shove it out. He's a ladies' man. Depraved thinking. And I don't blame the people. They can't help it. That's the mindset. Question one. So if I'm sitting down with somebody and we're talking about Jesus, this is what I, what I say to myself. I actually don't say it out loud, but my first question is, how are they even pondering the idea that God exists? Because they're in such a depraved state. Like, they don't know Jesus at all. They have no clue about the Bible. And yet, how are they pondering it? And often, I sit and I just ask questions like, God, what brought you to church today? A couple months ago, I did that, and the guy says, ah, just got out of prison. I'm like, church is the right spot for you, right? And I make it all fun, and I high-five him. But in my mind, I'm going Romans 1. How does a guy with a messed up worldview have any idea about God? Because once you get to that bottom spot and you're proving what everybody else is doing, you can't get out of it. You're locked in it. So there's usually some kind of special revelation. So this is something like when you're around Jesus' time and people become believers, um, it's because they saw a miracle or they heard a testimony. The woman at the well, she comes down and tells everybody, hey, I met Jesus. And then they can meet Jesus. So there's some kind of special revelation. In the Bible, when it talks about that son who's in wild living, it says, quote, he came to his senses. I don't know what made him come to his senses. Maybe it's because he was starving and at rock bottom. But something happened in his mind started to change. Part two, okay. 
So we've got to move from our mindset now to this thing called the will. And we're going to start moving a little quick here. Mark 10, 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus said. No one is good except God alone. No one is good. Everybody say, no one is good. Jesus, Romans 1. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. So this obviously is somebody who's, you know, knows to call him rabbi, knows to call him, and he even calls him good teacher. You know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false witness or testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. There it is again. Isn't that interesting? Teacher, he declared. He dropped the good. So he's listening to Jesus. He's like, oh, I dropped the good. Teacher. He declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. All these things I've kept. In other words, fine. You don't think you're good. I'm good. So this is the person who thinks that religion is the answer. I'm good. I followed the rules. What does Jesus say? He looked at him and loved him. He, he's got to be laughing inside that this poor guy thinks that it's about doing things, being good. Good, if that's how you think heaven works, how do you get eternal life? If I'm good enough, it doesn't work. Listen to what he says. He looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Is there really only one thing he lacks? Nope. <laughs> but Jesus is saying there's one thing because he knows this is the one for this guy. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus knew the one thing. See, here's the truth. God exists and he wants us to know him. All I have to do is do what God asks. And God asks us to surrender. God asks us to surrender. We are forced to choose. Our response has to be choose, pick. you got to pick one. If Jesus was sitting next to you in the seat, and he said, there's one thing you lack, what's the one thing you're holding on to, the one big sin, the one big bad one, you're like, I ain't giving that one up. That's the one he wants you to give up. <laughs> so when I'm talking to someone who doesn't know Jesus, I'm talking to the, the guy who, you know, just got out of prison. I know that he's somehow contemplating God. I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. I can't believe I get to sit here. My next question is, well, if, if you did become a Christian... What don't you want to give up? Like, what's the thing you love the most? He said, oh, I got two. I'm all, you got two? All right, what are the two? And he said, girls and marijuana. And I said, you know your two. I high-fived them all. That's all we got to do now is just get rid of those. Is that really it? Does God really care about our behavior? No. But he's asking us to, and forces us to choose. What's the biggest thing you don't want to give up? I use that all the time. In leading someone to Jesus. What's the one thing you don't want to give up? Finally, our declaration. So we're in this depraved place. We say, okay, you know what? I do want to choose. I'm ready to get rid of the thing. And now it's all, well, how does salvation work? How does eternity work? John 14, 6. And I'm sorry, Jennifer, because this slide's out of order. But John 14, 6 says this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Who said this? Jesus said, 
Not Mike said, not some pastor said, not some church said, or some religion said. Jesus said, he claimed that the only way to the Father is through me. I'm the only way. And what do we do? We take the truth about God, we suppress it, we shove something else in there because we can say, ah, everybody, what they think, it's all fine. You believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, we're all good. Sorry. We suppress the truth so we can keep on doing whatever we want to do. I'm going to have to skip some of these verses just for the sake of time, but there's a story in the Bible, I don't know if you know, but Jesus is going to be crucified, and he's got two criminals next to him. And these two criminals are insulting Jesus on the cross, and they've probably everyone has been insulting him, but they're insulting him together. At one point, after Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, and whatever else these two guys saw from their perspective, one of the guys says this, Luke 23, 39 to 43. 23, 39 to 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Does he really want to be saved? Does he believe he can do it? No, he's making fun of them. He's hurling insults. But the other criminal rebuked him. The other criminal rebuked the other criminal. What did he say? Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. Something changed. Somehow this thief on the cross, or this bad dude, this criminal, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. And from his depravity of mocking Jesus, just moments before, is now all of a sudden came to his senses and says, what are you doing? This guy's God. It continues in Luke and says, but this man has done nothing wrong. He's talking about Jesus. This is when he came to his sentence. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He gets that God exists. He feels horrible because he knows his disease, deeds deserve death. And Jesus tells him, you know what? Today you're going to be in paradise. That's how heaven works. That's how it works. We come from complete depravity, impossible to get out of it. And somehow this thing happens that, that the Spirit somehow opens our minds and we get to, I don't know, come to our senses. And then we have to deal with our will. Will I surrender? Will I give it up? Will I say, not my will, but your will? Will I do it? And when we do, we have to declare we have to declare. We have to make a declaration. The Bible says we have to confess with our heart and with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Just like the guy on the cross. Quick side note, I get often asked this all the time, Mike, can't I just wait until I'm on my deathbed? Can't I just wait? And my response is the same every time. I just look right at him and I say, so wait, hold on, let me, let me get this right. Let me get your depraved thinking. Like you're just, you have no idea how this thing works. Like you're still totally lost. And I say, you think that living, the way you're living for 10, 20, 30, 50 more years, that all of a sudden on your deathbed, you're going to be like, you know what, I've been wrong all this time. 
And you think you're going to change your mind now? It's lunacy. It makes no sense. You've been training yourself to think it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. I always ask, will you confess with your heart and mouth that Jesus is Lord, your heart, your will, you're going to surrender. And you say, not only, Jesus, you're the only way, but you're going to now be Lord of my life. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Okay, here, hold on. Let me get this again. Let me wrap it up this way. Because <laughs> I didn't tell you the whole story. I didn't tell you the whole story. In high school, about 17 years old, um, I've been dating a gal about a week um, or two, maybe three, something like that. But she's not my wife, maybe she's sitting over here. So this is early on in dating. Hi, sweetheart. <laughs> oh, I got this one. That, that's good for me later. Okay. Um, so <laughs> that's how it works. So we're on a, you know, early on in dating. What am I going to do? Money man, we're going to get fast food. <laughs> we got to go through the drive through because I got to go to church because I'm working at the church as an intern, by the way, at this time. Okay, so we go get fast food. We're getting fast food. I got the windows down, just like always, radio on. We're cruising. We finish. I pack everything up. You know what I do? I'm so smart. I realize that I can't throw it out the passenger window because I might hit her. <laughs> so what do I do? <laughs> Make a left turn. We got some smart people in here. Okay, that's good. But I opened the sunroof. And I literally coupled the... I threw it. I was hoping I didn't hit anything. I threw it out the sunroof. Because <laughs> I'm depraved like I... And this is a post-I-know-Jesus story. Like you ever hear pastors, it's always like, oh, well, well, before Jesus. And I always say, I still need Jesus. <laughs> right? So this is a I-know-Jesus story. I'm going out, I'm teaching church. She just looks at me and she says... What, what did you do? And I said, I, I didn't want the trash in my car. And she said, nothing. She said, nothing. And we just kept driving out. All of a sudden, I'm going, this isn't good. This isn't good. Like, all of a sudden, I came to my senses, and I realized what was nothing to me before. Nothing. I now know, not just what I did in that moment, what was wrong, but what I have been doing over and over and over again. Let's just bow our heads, if you would. Father, we are all sitting here. I'm standing broken, messed up people. And... Uh, I am convinced more than ever about my depravity and how I cannot find you. And God, I know there are people in here today, today who are sitting here going for the first time that they're realizing the same thing too and they're having to surrender that will. When I said there's one thing, they know there's one thing and they're saying they're gonna give it up and they're gonna say, God, it's all about you. If that's you today, you're gonna pray something like this. God, I know you exist. I've been pushing it down for a long time because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. That ends today. I have no clue about all the bad stuff I'm doing, but I know there's this one thing and I'm gonna just give that up. And God, I have no clue how this even works, but you say that you are the only way. Jesus, you are the only way and I'm just gonna trust in that. Father, we come before you and thank you for your word. 
it is so clear and evident. Thank you for creation. Thank you for saving us from our wretchedness. And Father, our declaration today is we will go forth not in fear and cowering like we're embarrassed or ashamed of you, but we will go boldly knowing you exist and knowing everyone else knows it too and they're just trying to push it down. We will not be embarrassed or ashamed of you. You are our Savior. You're our Lord. You're the one who saved us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for somehow getting through to this thick head, standing here on stage, and God, for so many sitting there that you broke through. We praise you and give you glory today. Thank you for our salvation, and we pray all of this in your Son's name. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.